Well, good morning. Everyone remembered to set their clocks forward. I caused a little bit of worry this morning. It's a little hot. I caused a little bit of worry this morning because I got here like just a little after 10. And I got a text, you know, because I'm preaching, like, where's the preacher? And some, some, one of my good buddies, Jeremy, texted me and said, you're on your way, right? Like, he wanted to make sure I didn't forget to set my clock forward. So thank God for smartphones that do it for you. Amen. Well, welcome to New Life Church. Um, obviously, I get to preach today, and I'm excited about that. I'm Brandon Bailey. If you don't know me, I'm an elder here at New Life Church. I know I don't look that old, but yes, I'm an elder. I got some laughs on that. I know I do look kind of old. Um, but we're, I'm, I got the privilege today of continuing our series, Let's Do Work, on the book of Nehemiah. And as you all know, if you've been a part of this series at all, um, we have been going through the old city of Jerusalem, which was called the city of David, um, back in the, way back in time, when the gates um, were being rebuilt under the jurisdiction of Nehemiah. And each of these ten gates... Uh, have a really significant meaning and are symbolic of spiritual action points in our life. And Pastor Jeremy has been going through these gates with us. And if we can get that diagram, perfect timing. That was awesome. All right, so here we are. We've, we've talked about that first week. We talked about the sheep gate and the fish gate, which represents salvation and then sharing the gospel with others, how we want to take that message forward. We talked about the old gate um, which is significant of, of, of those old ways of, of, of God's ways and God's word and their foundation. And then how we go through life often hit these valley experiences. And that's what the valley gate represents. And the work that God does in us through the valley is, uh, is, is incredible. And then we have this turn here, and we, we ended up last week at the dung gate, which is a place where God takes... Um, helps to take the garbage out of our lives. And um, the old gate, the valley gate, the dung gate represented a real turning point in our lives. And so that's where we ended up last week. And today we will be talking about the next two, which is the fountain gate and the water gate. It has nothing to do with Richard Nixon. Okay? I'm just going to go ahead and clear that up. In fact, he probably should have had something to do with the real Watergate, which represents the Word of God. Anyway, just to clarify. So here we are. We're in Nehemiah chapter 3, verse 15. We see mention. This is where these gates are mentioned. So this is in chapter 3 is where uh, the work has started, and Nehemiah goes through letting us know who all is working on all these different gates. And it says the fountain gate was repaired by Shalon, he rebuilt it, roofing it and it over and putting its doors and bolts and bars in place. He also repaired the wall of the pool of Siloam by the king's garden as far as the steps going down from the city of David. And the temple servants living on the hills, we fast forward to verse 26, the temple servants living on the hill of Ophel made repairs up to a point opposite the water gate toward the east and the projecting tower. And that's where we are today. Can you all pray with me as we enter into this word? Father, I'm just thankful to be here in this house today. I'm thankful for this group of believers who I get to do life with. 
And I thank you for your word. Just the amazing depth that it has and, and symbolism for our life. The way it can speak to us, the way it's alive and active. And, I, and we pray today that this word would be alive and active in us. That you would bring understanding, that you would open our hearts and our ears to hear. And that your will would be done today through your word. In Jesus' name, amen. So before we get into the fountain gate and the water gate, I feel like it's really relevant to kind of step back a bit, back to last week when we talked about the dung gate. And the reason this has been on my heart is I feel like there are times in our lives when we get kind kind of stuck in this area. We've We've, we've gone through a valley, we've gone into the dung gate where we take out the trash in our lives, and God's doing that work. But, but how many, well, you don't have to raise your hand, but how many of you have had those times when you've repented, you've confessed, you've approached God with, with sin and past mistakes, but for, for some reason you just still get hung up there? Whether it's a lack of understanding about forgiveness, whether it's this just shame, this guilt that sometimes just sticks with us. And what I feel like today is that God wants to make sure that we know, like, the dung gate is no place to camp out, right? We, we take out the trash in our lives, we, we empty ourselves before God, but we don't camp out there in our past mistakes, right? We, do, we don't camp out. The enemy will first want us to think that maybe, you know, if he can get us to think that we haven't sinned or we don't have sin in our lives and we keep coasting along, then that's great for him because we won't repent. But if you can't pull that off, then the next thing he will do is if you do repent, he's going to continue to remind you of the mistakes, continue to remind you of the sins, continue to remind you of the failures. The Bible describes him as an accuser before the brethren. He wants to hold us there. He wants to get us stuck at that point. If he can keep us from going forward in progression through these spiritual action points, then he'll do anything he can. But guess what? 1 John 1, 9 has something else to say about that. I'm going to read verse 8 and 9, actually, if we can get those up. 1 John, um, waiting for those. 1 John, it's not on there? All right, well, I'll tell you basically what it says. It says that if we believe that we have no sin, that we're being deceived. That's verse 8. In verse 9, it says, if we confess our sins to God, he is faithful and just to, to forgive us and cleanse us from some of our unrighteousness. Right? That's not what, I was reading the wrong version. What's it say? All. What does all mean? Everything. Right? Everything. God cleanses you. When you confess your sins to God, he cleanses us from all unrighteousness. That word is very significant. Don't overlook that word. So when you find yourself stuck, when you find yourself still feeling that shame, that guilt, when you feel the weight of our past mistakes, remind yourself of God's word. He's cleansed me of all unrighteousness. So you were never meant to camp out at the dung gate. We return to it often, right, to empty ourselves out, but we're, we're not meant to camp out. We're meant to empty ourselves so that we can then be filled 
at the fountain gate and the water gate. So your past doesn't determine your future. God does. And emptying yourself is preparation for God to fill you. If we can get that city map back up, I want to show something very significant. Is that, look how close the fountain gate is to the dung gate. We immediately have this upward turn towards God to be refilled. So once we've emptied ourselves out, God is there to fill us. And we arrive at the fountain gate. In Nehemiah 2.14, we see that the fountain gate at that time was in the most disrepair. He says, I moved on toward the fountain gate and the king's pool, but there wasn't enough room for my mount to get through. He couldn't even pass through there because the rubble was so great at the fountain gate. The fountain gate, a few practical things about it. Um, it provided access to the pool of Siloam, which was a pool that uh, the Israelites would use for um, cleansing before going on to the temple. It was, it was kind of a ritual, traditional uh, tradition there to be cleansed at the pool of Siloam. The fountain gate, we find, is symbolic of the living waters of the Holy Spirit to cleanse our lives and empower us to live a genuine Christian life. How many of us really want to live a genuine Christian life? Amen? That's the goal. So we see this concept of the living waters in John chapter 7, verse 37 to 39. And Jesus is speaking here and he says, Now on the last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out, saying, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture said, from his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. But this he spoke of the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive. For the Spirit was not yet given, because Jesus has not, had not yet been glorified. Aren't you glad he didn't say that when you believe in me, that in you will be waters like a stagnant pond? <laughs> Amen. He didn't say that. He said living water, flowing, moving, alive, clean, purifying, cleansing. Not, a stag not stagnant, not old, not tired, not mildewed. I've swam in some stagnant ponds. I was from the country. So I know, I, when, I, when I think about that, I think of that. But, but then when you go to North Carolina and you, you see the mountain streams that are just crystal clear. Just such a different picture. And that's what Jesus has in mind of the life, living life with the, in the Spirit. Amen? Living water flowing through us. So let's talk about the Holy Spirit a little bit. He's, I feel like he's often the misunderstood figure of the Godhead. He's kind of like the stepchild. We don't fully understand. We, we kind of think of him as a little bit lesser than God and Jesus, and then there's this thing, the Holy Spirit, that we don't always comprehend. So let's talk about that a little bit and, and make sure we, we know what we're talking about here. In John 16, 7, Jesus is talking, and he says, listen to this, but in fact, it is best for you that I go away. He's talking to his disciples. Because if I don't, the advocate, that's the Holy Spirit, the advocate won't come. If I do go away, then I will send him to you. So why would Jesus say this? 
here he is. He's been walking with the disciples. He's been teaching them, mentoring them, correcting them, revealing just the truth of Scripture. They've seen him do miracles. He's seen them share salvation with people. Just amazing things. But here he is saying, it's better that I go. I mean, can you imagine being one of the disciples? I would have, I would have wanted to grab hold of him. You ain't going anywhere, Jesus. You know? But, but Jesus says, it's better that I go. And he's talking about his resurrection and then ascension into heaven. So why would he say that? Well, in the Old Testament, we often read about God being with Moses, with Jacob, with Abraham, with Elijah, with all these people. I don't know about you all, but sometimes we, we look at that and we think, man, it must have been amazing to, to have seen that burning bush. It must have been amazing to have seen the, the waters part, to, to see some of those things that we've read about in Scripture. But what if we get to heaven and those people are like, man, it must have been amazing to have the Holy Spirit in you, right? Because the Old Testament was all about God with us, which was really good. Like, I want God to be with me, right? God, be with me as I go to preach today. God, be with me as I go into this interview. God, be with me as I go into this difficult situation at work. Like, I, we want that. That's good for God to be with us. And that's what the Old Testament was about. But the New Testament, what we see is God in us. And that's what Jesus was saying. He was saying, hey, guys, really, it's good that I go away. Because if I do, I'm going to send the advocate. I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. And guess what? He's going to be in you. So now it's God in you. That's powerful. That's transforming. I always think of the Lion King song. He lives in you. I'll spare you. I won't sing that anymore. He lives in you, church. Amen. Here's what the Bible, how, how it describes the Holy Spirit that lives in you. And this isn't an exhaustive list. I don't know that I could have, I guess I could have, but there's a, the Bible says a lot about the Holy Spirit. So I'm going to give you the cliff notes. Okay, you ready? All right, here we go. The Holy Spirit is a gift from God that seals you at salvation. He's your helper, your advocate, your teacher, the spirit of truth. The Holy Spirit is in you to empower you to be a witness. To cause you to overflow with hope. I like that. To teach you and remind you of God's word. To give you the gift of speaking in tongues. To give you the ability to prophesy. Ephesians 5.18 says it is God's will for you to be filled with the Holy Spirit. I feel like doing the Christian life without the power of the Holy Spirit in you is a lot like driving a car with no gas in the tank. And my parents always used to have this joke growing up that they would say, we're going to buy you a Rolls Canardly. You ever heard of one of those? 
It rolls down one hill, but it can hardly make it up the next side. There's your cheesy dad joke for the day. And I feel like that's kind of like living life without the power of the Holy Spirit is that you can you could coast down when life's are, when life's going well and easy, right? You can coast down that hill, but you can hardly make it up the next side. Because when the going gets tough, when you gotta start really climbing, it's hard to go when you ain't got no gas in the car. So don't be a rose canardly Christian. <laughs> I've had this experience in my life, I just gotta admit. I can't stand up here and say I walk in the power of the Holy Spirit every day. That's the goal. But I've had times when I've been trucking along, doing my work, burning the candle at both ends, and I find myself exhausted. I find myself tired, burnt out, frustrated, frustrated with myself, frustrated with people around me. Wondering how I'm going to keep this going. And then guess what happens? God reminds me, you've been doing this in your own strength. And he reminds me that I need to get on my knees before him. That I need to open my heart up for him. That I need to be refilled. That I need to get back into his word. To be filled up. And then guess what happens? I feel renewed. I feel new strength. I feel new life. The things that I thought weren't possible suddenly become possible. Amen? And suddenly, we're walking in victory again. Suddenly, we're letting the Holy Spirit work through us again because we surrendered. And we realized, I can't do this in my own strength. I don't want to do this in my own strength. It's just because it's just not as good. Right? And I'm going to be tired. So I posted on Facebook Friday night a question. Some of you may have seen it. Some of you responded. And I asked people to to finish this sentence. By the power of the Holy Spirit, dot, dot, dot. And I just want to share some of the responses I got because these are real life experiences from people. So by the power of the Holy Spirit, and here's the responses, I have found a new way of life. Lost dreams awaken and new opportunities have arisen. By the power of the Holy Spirit, I'm able to step out of the shell I used to be in and reach others for the kingdom of God. By the power of the Holy Spirit, I I can experience the fruit of the Spirit. I went from the most skeptical, questioning lady to becoming a real believer of God. It's a gift I'm most grateful for. It was the Holy Spirit that opened my heart to be more sympathetic for others with autoimmune diseases and to understand the struggles they face daily. Now I take more time to pray for those in hopeless situations because only God can bring them out of it. I'm living proof of it. This was a co-worker I used to work with who really faced some uh, life-altering illnesses. And, and the Holy, by the power of the Holy Spirit, she came through it. By the power of the Holy Spirit, the dead man that was inside me has been brought to life. By the power of the Holy Spirit, I have been able to get out of bed every day, thank God for the time he gave me with my spouse, and really appreciate all the things and people that he's blessed me with. Amen? That's real life, guys. By the power of the Holy Spirit, I'm free. I'm restored. I am loved. What's your Holy Spirit story? 
What's he done for you? How's he set you free? But don't stop there. Because it's not just what he's done for you in the past. That's a powerful testimony. And and it inspires us, encourages us. But your story's not done yet. So I would challenge you to think, by the power of the Holy Spirit, I will dot, dot, dot. He will dot, dot, dot. Because it's still going. God wants to do a work in you and through you through the power of the Holy Spirit. So at the fountain gate, we're filled. It's a place we come to be filled. The power of the Holy Spirit. Now it's no coincidence that the fountain gate and the water gate go together. The water gate's a picture of the word of God as our life source and its effect in our lives. The Holy Spirit is the one who makes the word of God alive to us personally. So these things go hand in hand. We find the fountain gate and we find the the word gate, or the water gate. So the water gate. 14 years before Nehemiah returned to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem, Ezra returned to Jerusalem to rebuild the people. And he did this by calling them to return to the word of God. In the book of Ezra... Chapter 7, we read a description about him and his purpose. And it says that Ezra arrived in Jerusalem in August of that year. He had arranged to leave Babylon on April the 8th, the first day of the new year. And he arrived at Jerusalem on August 4th. For the gracious hand of his God was on him. So this is before Nehemiah's return to Jerusalem. This was because Ezra had determined to study and obey the law of the Lord and to teach those decrees and regulations to the people of Israel. In Nehemiah chapter 8, we also read about the water gate, and and we see Ezra again. It says, All the people assembled with a unified purpose at the square, just inside the water gate. They asked Ezra, the scribe, to bring out the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had given for Israel to obey. So on October the 8th, Ezra, the priest, brought the book of the law before the assembly, which included the men and women and all the children old enough to understand. He faced the square just inside the water gate from early morning until noon and read aloud to everyone who could understand. All the people listened closely to the book of the law. What a powerful reminder that they went to the water gate to read the word of God. It was a reminder that God's word is our source. God's word is is like that water gate. So some practical things about the water gate. It led to the Gihon Spring. I don't know if I'm saying that right. Uh, But the Gihon Spring was the only source of water for Jerusalem. This is where all the fresh water is going to come from. Scientists believe that that this spring has been flowing for about 5,000 years, and it's still flowing today. And I I predict that it's going to always flow, because it represents God's word. Um, Just saying. That In Hebrew, that word gehon, it means gushing. So much like Jesus described the spirit in you as living water, God wants us to have a vibrant, living relationship with him through the word. Don't raise your hand, but can you, would you describe your life in God's word as gushing? I had to check myself on that. But that's the picture, the gehon spring. It, it, it actually, what happens with this in the natural is this spring 
wells up. It gets to a point where it overflows, and they had built um, little trenches or aqueducts from it to places in the city. And so when it, when it fills up, it overflows, and that water flows into the city. And one of the places it flows to is that pool of Siloam that we talked about in the fountain gate where the cleansing takes place. In Hebrews chapter 4, we read about the Word of God and, God, or, and God's, God's vision for what it should be in our life. It says that we have the living Word of God, which is full of energy, and it pierces more sharply than a two-edged sword. It will even penetrate to the very core of our being where soul and spirit, bone and marrow meet. It, it interprets and reveals the true thoughts and secret motives of our, of our hearts. Now, I want, to sh- I want to share four practical steps from the Word of God for how to engage God's Word. And we're going to find this in Deuteronomy chapter 11. So there's four, four important points that it makes here. First of all, he's, God's talking here. He says, fix these words of mine in your hearts and minds. Number one, we are to read it, contemplate it, study it, Make space for it. Fix them in your hearts. Meditate on God's word. Think on them. It says, tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. That's number two. Place the word of God around you in your life. Make it practical. Use an app with reminders. Subscribe to a devotional reading. Read the verse of the day. Post it on sticky notes on your bathroom mirror. Write it on your hand. Make it visible. Put reminders up. Keep your Bible out where you'll see it, where you're more likely to grab it and read it. Don't pack it away in a closet somewhere. Right? Get a devotional book. Make it practical. Make it where you can access it. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Teach them to your children, talking about them when you sit at home And when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up, that's number three. Share it with your people, right? Who has God put in your life to share the word of God with? It mentions children specifically, but also your your relatives, your friends, your coworkers. No matter who they are or when the opportunity arises, be ready, be willing to share when, when you have that opportunity. I'm not suggesting beating people over the head with it. But when you have that opportunity, share it with love. Amen? So that's number three. Number four, write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. What that means is live it out. Practice it. Or as the book of James says, be doers of the word, not uh, not merely hearers only. And it says that if we do this, the days and the days of your children will be many in the land the Lord swore to give your ancestors as many as the days that the heavens are above the earth. So when it comes down to it, the more you know, the more you grow. The further you go, the stronger you'll be, and the greater the difference for eternity you'll have. A godly life is always grounded in God's word. Sometimes this is a, a little harder to get excited about, right? I've got another confession to make. I, I'm not the most disciplined of people. 
I blame it on being an Enneagram 7. Can I say that? Is that fair? Um, I kind of like to do things more spur of the moment, more spontaneously for the most part. Uh, and I'm just not real great on being dis- disciplined and routine and structure. Okay? Talk to my wife about it. She'll tell you all about it. And so when it comes to this, um, I have my ups and downs. Right? And I often see, I often talk to people about this. I see that people... Um, have a lot of guilt and shame about that. And then, and then hey, that's what, what we talked about earlier is that dung gate. We end up getting stuck in that guilt and shame and we don't end up moving beyond that. But let me tell you, Christian, God just wants you to move forward, right? God wants you to cultivate a relationship with him through his word. And, and I say start where you're at. That's what I've had to do. My, my prayer and devotional time might look a lot different than Pastor Jeremy's, right? It might look different than James. And that's okay. But just start somewhere. My, I, would, I would encourage you to set apart some time every day. Set apart some time every day, but it may, be, it may not be an hour in the morning. See, sometimes we think, oh, I've got to do an hour. Or it's got to be big. Start small. Maybe it's as simple as getting up and reading the, a devotional on your phone or, or a devotional book, or maybe it's t- setting apart a lunch break. Make it happen. But when we do, here's what happens. That fountain gate and that word water gate go together. The more we get the word of God in us, the more it's fueling that Holy Spirit within you, and the more it comes alive, the more God's word comes alive. And the more God's word comes alive, the more the spirit grows within you. You read me? And then it's, before you know it, it's gushing. It's, it's living waters flowing out of you. And the more you come alive, the more life you have to share with those around you. Centuries before Nehemiah came, King Hezekiah of Jerusalem was faced with potential attack from the Assyrians. And guess what? He was a pretty smart guy, so he realized our water source, the Gahon Spring, is, it's actually outside the gates. It's actually outside the wall. And that was their only source of water. And so King Hezekiah thinks, that ain't good. I got to protect this thing. And he had tunnels built under the ground to connect the city of Jerusalem with their water source to make sure that it was safe, to make sure that it was protected. How many times are we faced with attack? Are we faced with, what, what attacks you? Busyness? Stress? Hurry? Distractions? Temptations, discouragement, depression, loss of hope, opposition, conflict, doubt, fear, anxieties. But if we have walled off our water source, you feel me? If we've walled off our water source, to protect 
our source and our time in God's Word, then we will always have a source of life flowing in our lives. Amen? Wall off some time. Where are you at with this? Where do you need to put some safeguards? Where do you need to wall off some time for God's Word? To set it apart, to protect it, to ensure that you stay connected with your water source, with the Word of God. I'm gonna, we're going to bring this to a close. And then we're going to have some time to, to pray because I just feel like a good response to this is, is, is through prayer and letting God meet you where you're at. But I realize that in life, we don't realize our need for the Holy Spirit or for God's Word when we're comfortable. I had a season last, last fall when a company that I worked for closed abruptly. I didn't expect that. And in that, in that season, you know, the thought was, what, what am I going to do? Where am I going to go? What, what, what's God going to have for me next? And, and there was a temptation to worry. There was a temptation to fear. But during that season, God reminded me that he's my source, that he's my provider. And he pulled me back from my panic and my temptation to just kind of go out and fix a problem in my own strength. And, and he convinced me to rest and to wait and to seek him. And I'm going to tell you, I was, it was an uncomfortable time. And if I think back through my life, there's been a lot of uncomfortable times when I really realized how much I needed the Holy Spirit and God's Word in my life. And it was always there. And that has never let me down. And those times whenever I really, when we really realize our need and we get out of our comfort zones, those are times of growth. Those are times of change. Those are times of transformation. Those are times where we see old habits broken, where we see things that we thought we'd never get over, we get over them. They're trying times. They're not fun times. They're difficult times. Valley times, too. But when we get out of our comfort zones, we realize how much we really need to depend on God and His Word. But it, in modern day, it's easy to get comfortable, folks, right? How long has it been since you really accepted a God-sized vision for your life? Like, God, God hey, this, this whole series, let's do work. God has work for you to do. He has a purpose for every one of us. And your past can't change that. Your present circumstances don't change that. There's work for you to do. A God-sized vision for your life. And the only way to really fulfill it is when we empty ourselves and we decide it's time for, to let God 
fill me up. Holy Spirit, cleanse me, purify me, do this work in me because this work is too big for me to do on my own. I need God's word to show me the way. I need those Proverbs, the wisdom from Proverbs to show me how to handle this situation. I need that word of God active and living and sharper than a two-edged sword, cutting away things out of my life that I don't need anymore, that God doesn't want there. There's power in his spirit and his, in his word. But you got to be willing to get out of the boat. You got to be willing to step out of the comfort zone. Don't settle for good when you can have God's best. Amen? If y'all stand with us today. I just want to invite uh, some of our elders and deacons up for, to pray. If anybody wants prayer, if you feel your heart stirring for a closer walk with God, for an end, to be filled with the Holy Spirit, if you feel your heart stirring to, to, that you want a living, vibrant life in God's Word, maybe, maybe it's been a while since it really came alive to you. Maybe that right there, because it's been dry to you, maybe that's made it hard to really reinvest and be motivated to get into it. Ask God to renew that. Ask God to renew that, that sense of expectation for His Word, that sense of that understanding that you, you get from His Word. Maybe it's, it's been a long time since you felt His presence or felt the power of the Holy Spirit really leading you in your day-to-day. There's refreshing for that at the fountain gate. There's feeling for that at the water gate. And today, this is symbolic of this place with God where we have this resting point, where we have this point of saying, I don't want to do it in my own strength, but God, I want your power in me. So if you feel that today, as we go back through this this time of worship, I invite you to come up and, and, and pray with us, and we will pray for you to have that feeling. Don't delay. You've got a God-sized calling on your life. you got a God-sized calling on your life. Your story's still being written. Your Holy Spirit story ain't done yet. God wants to, God wants to push you out into it. Sometimes it takes a push, amen? But he is there to catch you. And his spirit and his word are there to fill you up. It just takes a single step. Let's pray and then we'll worship. And if you, if you want prayer, we'd love to have you up. Jesus, thank you for a God-sized calling on our lives. Thank you that you do mighty things in us, your children in us and through us. God, we want you to work in us and through us. There's people in our lives, God, that you want to touch, but Jesus, we need your Holy Spirit to lead us into that. We need the boldness that it brings. We need the power that it brings. Jesus, there's things in our lives that we we want to turn the page on, hurt that we want to be able to heal from, 
people that we want to be able to forgive habits that we want to we want to be able to leave behind and never look back but Jesus we can't do it in our own strength we need you today we need your Holy Spirit to fill us up so Father we invite you in Holy Spirit fill us today we open our hearts let your spirit flow through it Jesus we repent for our our apathy with your word and, and Jesus, there's no shame and guilt. We turn to you to be filled with your word. May it come alive to us in a way that it never has. And may it do a good work within us. Fill us up today in Jesus' name.